The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, this week we had a lot of fun uh, chatting about um, the etiquette of visiting another person's school. And we answered a question for one of our Patreon supporters. We love our Patreon supporters. And uh, dealing with the differences and dealing with a, uh, a wall bag and a heavy bag. Uh, you know, and why you work each one the way you do. And that was, I, I really enjoyed that. So I hope you guys uh, enjoy the podcast. of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Dudes of Kung Fu. Alex, how are you, you ugly bastard? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. It's always good as it's good as always to be greeted so lovingly by you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know how it is. It's like I once a week I get to look at you and Wonder what could have been instead of what is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so what have you been up to lately? Uh, things, you know, right now, work and just trying to survive in this heat. That's been my uh, main goal, you know, outside of my uh, kung fu and my, 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 my guitar. But right now, it's just work and survive in the heat kind of thing. How about yourself? Yeah, it's about the same thing. Last week, I taught my yearly intensive training camp where I taught uh, six hours a day, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekend, I did some special instructor courses. So I'm uh, this is kind of luckily it's Fourth of July week. So we have the one day off because uh, that's a pretty heavy teaching schedule, because when you're teaching for six hours, especially something very interactive like Wing Chun, you know, uh, uh, even somebody as young and fit as me needs a break. (laughs) Well, you're fit. I don't know about how young, but you're fit. (laughs) There was a time when you're young. That's true. That's true. In fact, when you posted pictures of when you first started teaching, I I love it because I sit there and say, it looks like a (laughs) six-year-old. Yeah, that was always my image problem when I started teaching that people would walk in and look at me and go, well, where's the Sifu? <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I suppose it's it's funny, you know, people want to look younger once they get old. And when they're younger, they want to look older, you know, and I, I've kind of I've had both. I suppose when I was young, I, I looked really young. And, and I suppose now I'm lucky I don't quite look as old as I am. But yeah, there definitely was this curve where like. I didn't look like somebody who was a responsible martial arts teacher who ran a school in New York, and and so yeah, that was that was a bit difficult, especially trying uh, you know people trying to take me seriously. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely like it was a a, a transformation in, in your appearance, like uh, like you just see from one picture to the next, it's like you look like a little kid playing dress up, and then the next picture <laughs> you look like a grown man. You're like, oh fuck, wow, okay, how'd that happen? 
But <laughs> yeah, kid, kid, kids will do that to you for sure. <laughs> Having kids is definitely definitely forces things to to speed up a little oh, bit. Hell so. yeah! Oh yeah, I I was 185 pounds when I had kids. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> I've actually lost weight since I've had kids. I suppose I don't have uh, uh, maybe just running around because my kids are still small. So perhaps it's just running around trying to keep them in line. <laughs> Dealing with them has been twice the amount of exercise I normally had. That's awesome. That's awesome. Did you see the video that's going around on uh, YouTube and on Instagram with Matt Sarah? Uh, you talk about the one where he had to like hold down some dude at the restaurant. Yeah, must have been like last yeah. night or something. He's, he's in Vegas to get his... Uh, inducted into the ufc uh hall of fame and he had a problem with uh some drunk patron in a restaurant yes and he took the guy down and basically mounted him and sat on him and the guys are yeah. going i'm gonna kick your ass <laughs> i'm gonna press and then when the cops got there he's like i'm gonna press charges and matt was like being super calm yeah. and like you know holding the guy down holding his arms keeping him from punching and and you know i suppose that that's the beauty of of having the ability to kind of just hold somebody and pin somebody down as opposed to only having, uh, you know, straight punch is your only option. It's, it's, uh, you know, that guy was lucky because, you know, had that guy had, I don't know, like Alistair Overeem in front of him, <laughs> Alistair Overeem might've just kicked his head into the next block. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Right, right, right. It's, it's funny because I've heard, you know, I've listened to, um, you, you know, I'm a, a huge fan of Joe Rogan's podcast and Joe Rogan has had a number of, obviously MMA fighters and he's got a bunch of regulars and every once in a while he'll have some people on there and it's I don't know I don't think that that was the case with this Matt Sarah video I think this was just a drunk guy uh, apparently was uh, causing trouble for some waiters there and then Matt Sarah you know stepped in and then the guy took a swing at Matt Sarah and then Matt Sarah took the guy down um, but uh, on, on Joe's podcast he's talked a number of times about like UFC fighters regularly get people who just like start shit with them when they're out and about. They're the proving people, ground. Yeah, because people will see somebody, you know, like I don't know, like a Brendan Schaub or I don't know, like and be like, "Yo, man, that guy doesn't look so tough" or whatever. And and it must be funny because you would think, you know, that when you, you know, whenever I see these guys in in person, you know, it's like. Um, you realize, like, first of all, that they're normal people who are just phenomenal athletes and, and have dedicated a portion of their, you know, a huge part of their life to to being a fighter. But the last thing I would think about is be like, yo, man, what if I just like, what if I just like Paxel punch you right now? <laughs> like, 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 like that, that, that gene that like people have where they have to like somehow put themselves into a conversation that they don't belong in. It just seems like the height of delusion, you know, like I don't understand that that gene like I don't have that gene. I don't understand like where people get that from. You know? Well, you're not a fucking moron. <clears throat> well, yeah, I, I, I well, suppose. No, but, but I mean, but it all boils down to that. If you're going to throw a punch at a guy who's a UFC fighter, if you're if you are causing the problem with a guy who fights for a living, you're a fucking moron. I've told the story before on here on here, I'm sure. When we were kids, when, when we were kids, when I was younger and my young, my oldest son was young, we were in the local Costco, and we were online, and the gentleman behind us online had really, really bad cauliflower ears. Yes. And my son John, you know, he was a kid. He was six. He yes. he pointed at the guy's ears and said, "Daddy, what happened to his ears?" Uh-huh. And I said, and the guy like the guy half smiled. And I said to John, John, those ears are telling you something. And he said, what are they telling you? He said, those, I said, those ears are screaming at you. Don't mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy said, listen to your father. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it takes a lot of hard work to get those ears. And you know, if, right. you, if, you, if you're a grown man who knows what those ears are, and you fuck with a guy with cauliflower ears, well, you deserve the beating you're going to get because you're exactly. an asshole. Exactly. Cauliflower ears are quite an amazing thing because they're at once like, and I mean, when I first became aware of them when I was in high school, you know, like seeing people who wrestled and stuff like that, you know, I was like, oh man, that's like, that's a pretty high price to pay for a sport. And then as it became more and more prevalent, you know, because of the 
a lot of people practicing jujitsu and, and, and submission arts and things like that. You know, it, it's funny how mainstream it is now, like how much people understand that as like a thing. And and it's funny because I have some jujitsu friends who tell me like that they're beginners there who will like, you know, purposefully try oh to make God. their ears look like, like, like you know, that they'll like kind of grind their ears on the mat and stuff like that too so that it becomes uh, the cauliflower ear gets there quicker. And it reminded me of like it's, it's, it's not at all a comparison, but when I was a teenager, I was really into skateboarding. And when you skateboard, there's, you know, the most famous trick is called an ollie. And an ollie is when you basically hop over something with your skateboard, right? Okay. You jump with the skateboard with you. But in order to do this, you need to slide your foot up the board. And, you know, the board has like this grip tape, right? So it would like eventually wear a hole in your shoe. So like all like the hardcore skateboarders, you could tell because their shoes had all these like these points of wear, like specifically like the one wear for the kickflip, the other wear for the ollie and right, all that right, kind of right. stuff. And then there were dudes who just couldn't skateboard to save their life. As you may recall, they were called posers. Right. And, and posers would literally take their shoe against the grip tape and, like, wear their shoe down to make it look like they could do kick flips and ollies and oh, stuff. That's awesome. Because they're – yeah, and it, it, it totally remind I don't know. It reminded me of that, like, people, like, purposely grinding their ear to get the cauliflower ear. And um, do you remember um, – do you know Carter Wong? Um, you may not know him by name, but do you ever see Big Trouble in Little China? Yeah, yes, yes. So, so Big Trouble in Little China, they had those three, the three storms, right? The three right. guys in the hats, right? And the big guy, the jack guy, the one who blows up at the end, he's Carter Wong. And Carter Wong used to do a bunch of films in Hong Kong back in the day. And um, and he's, you know, he's still, I, I saw him last year in Hong Kong and he's still around from time to time. But if you look at his knuckles, he has those like, you know, like barnacle knuckles, like, you right. know, from like, you see sometimes karate guys have them on the top two from hitting the Makiwara board or, or Bruce Lee would have them from time to time. Uh, if he was doing a lot of wall bag training, like you can tell some Wing Chun people have them, right? And um, it's just the thick calluses from from usually from not from hitting somebody, but from training right, sure. your punch on something, right? And so Carter Wong famously has like very big ones, right? And I remember like many years ago, I was in the car with uh, with my Seagong with Leung Teng, and we were talking about Carter Wong. And I said something like, yeah, yeah, Carter Wong has like, you know, you know, really hardcore you know, calluses on his knuckles and Leung Ting looked at me because the two of them are friends and he just goes, it's totally fake. And I was like, what? He goes, he uses a special Dita Jiao that stains his skill uh, stains his skin and then he just pounds oh on God. like a piece of wood to, to develop it, but he doesn't do it from actual punch training. And the funny thing is I thought like, you know, to actually put some kind of liniment to stain your skin and then just like, you know, hit a piece of wood while you're sitting and watching TV, I'm like, that's so much effort. Why don't you just go and freaking hit and punch something exactly and then get right. it for real? You know what I mean? Like, it's funny how people can like <clears throat> go through so much or like like so much of a process to have the the appearance that they are a fighter right. rather than just like do the training in which that stuff would happen naturally. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah, I wrestled all through school, and um, my mom would take me to go get my ears drained. Right. And that was always a pleasure. Because I, I never would want to wear, well, first of all, when I first started, they didn't even have, at least they weren't available to us, the ear guards. Yes. We yes. didn't even have them available to us when I first right. started. And I think they came around towards the end of my sophomore year, junior year. Yeah. And I no, no one wanted to wear them. You know, it was right. like a girly thing to wear. Sure. But then when my mother would bring me to get my ears drained, probably like twice a year. And that sucked. That like really sucked. I started wearing the ear guards after that. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, it's weird. I am, uh, as I've talked about on the podcast before, like uh, sometimes I'll go down to Miami for the whole month of December and, and you know, take some time to catch up. And, and I'll do some training down there with, uh, with jujitsu people. I'll train the whole month. And it's amazing because, like, you know, I'm in there doing technical classes, and then I'll be in there doing, like, sparring jujitsu classes. And, you know, working, like, with high-level brown belts and black belts. And, you know, I remember I did, like, these. My dog. These, that's fine. Um, I remember I did, like, one sparring class, which was a little bit more intense than, you know, like, the normal ones. I was training with a brown belt who was really big. 
And I remember when I got in the car and I started uh, started driving home. Hi, Zama. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> no problem. When I started driving home, my ears were hurt so much, and it was amazing because I've done I've I've done tons of jujitsu, but never like to the point where my ears got messed up. But on one session. It was like so bad. I literally like my ears were so sensitive. I couldn't even put my headphones on while I was uh, when I got home. It was ridiculous. And I was like, wow, people who do this day in and day out. It's no wonder that their ears just turn into gummy so quickly because like one hard session and both like I couldn't even touch them. It hurt so much. I was like, oh, my God. And really paying the price. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is that I didn't actually have any disfigurement on my ears, but it was definitely like. It was definitely like the first day. Had I done that like the second day and the third day, my ears would definitely have started changing. <laughs> and it was like, wow, that's that's a, that's a pretty intense price to pay, man. Yeah, it really is. You know, you brought up the wall bag, and I uh, been meaning to. I forgot to send it to you before. We had a question from a Patreon uh, subscriber yep. regarding uh, training, and I wanted to read it, and we could talk about it a little bit. Sure. If my eyes let me read this thing. <laughs> no his name is John Rapley. Dead air. And he wrote. Um, by the way, folks, we love our Patreon subscribers and Patreon people. You send us questions, I guarantee you, we will talk about them on the podcast because you you guys are what you know really step up and help make this possible. And we want, and we thank you very much. So John Rapley, who is a new Patreon subscriber, wrote a question to us saying. I have a question. How do you treat a heavy bag differently than a wall bag? Why would I specifically use either in Wing Chun? Sorry if this was one of the questions that take an entire podcast to answer. Uh, thank you for your time. Why would I use one specifically, you know, why would you use a wall bag rather than a heavy bag or a heavy bag rather than a wall bag? And how do they differ in training to you and to me? And how do you see them differently? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, uh, do you want do you want me to tackle this first, or you want to go first? <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, you know, I'll look at. I, I don't want to talk about wall bags because I'm, uh, you know, that's more your thing. Um, I can tell you how I use a heavy bag. The difference in how I see in a heavy bag and a wall bag is in a heavy bag, at least in the way I use them, and depending on the weight of the heavy bag, is it involves movement. Okay, so I think like. Heavy bags, when you when people hit heavy bags, I think one of the things people mistake a heavy bag for is they think they, they treat them like they're a wall bag. Like they just stand there and punch them without movement. And when the heavy bag kind of like swings out a little bit and comes back to them, they like stop it and, and continue to punch without movement. When you look at a heavy bag, and I'm not talking about the whole big uh, Muay Thai banana bags that weigh 250 pounds. Talking about your normal 70, 80 pound heavy bag. When you hit a heavy bag and it swings out and starts moving into you, this is your time to practice movement. Move back, circle steps. Circle steps are, are a beauty to learn and perfect on a heavy bag. So you can like punch a punching combination to a heavy bag, it'll swing out. And as the bag is coming back to you, step off and circle and come and start hitting with hook punches. This is what this is what, something you could do on a heavy bag that's not applicable to a wall bag. A wall bag is, I think, to and the way I look at it, and Alex going to a much deeper description of it. For me, I look at wall bag as perfecting um, the structure of the punch in relation, to, you know, to the body, that from from the foot to the to the knuckle, getting it all timed correctly. And getting the structure correctly for this punch, the heavy bag, while deals with punching and kicking, it and to me also more deals with movement, and um, that's that's all I got to say about that right now. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a really good question. I think there's a lot of confusion about equipment training because um, most people um, like to kind of have their go-to pieces of equipment or people like to say that okay the, this type of equipment is the only one you need for whatever style that they do so then you tend to have this thing where 
uh, any piece of equipment usually is given way more credit than it deserves just because people of that particular style use it. So then suddenly this piece of equipment becomes the, uh, the, the cure all for your ills or whatever. And, and for me, everything is a matter of context and it's a matter of pros and cons. So a Wing Chun wall bag or just the three sectional wall bag or a single or double section or, or you want to call it a sop out or a sandbag or whatever, like it is a really fantastic tool for Wing Chun, but it is also not the only tool one can use for Wing Chun. I think it's the best tool for a beginner for pretty much the same thing that you just explained because the wall bag doesn't move. So it gives you a chance to essentially test your structure from your stance to your low elbow to hitting with the right knuckle. So it allows you to pay attention to a number of little details that you wouldn't necessarily pay attention to if you were hitting a heavy bag. Because a heavy bag is going to move around a lot and you're going to worry more about distance and timing and move around and footwork and things like that. A wall bag, you can just kind of focus on the punch. Now, what makes a wall bag great for training power is that it works as an isometric tool in that you cannot move it. And training uh, isometrics is one of the few ways you can actually improve tendon strength. So when you hit a wall bag that's obviously fixed to a wall and it's not going to move, especially if you hit it at high speed, you're going to create essentially an isometric contraction at the end of the punch. And that is really valuable for training the tendons that you need to create a very powerful punch. So I actually recommend that all beginners do most of their punching training on a wall bag so that they can develop the, you know, three knuckle landing, aiming with the ring finger knuckle, training the elbow power and all that kind of stuff. So that is where it becomes a really, really effective tool if you're really training the power of the punch step by step. There are limits to it, however, because it doesn't move. And I remember that um, there was a JKD guy, which we could talk about after the podcast. Somebody posted a video, a Wing Chun guy posted a video of him like hitting the wall bag, right? And he's doing chain punches and then he backs up and he does a bunch of kicks and things like that. And then some JKD guy goes like, yeah, but like, you know, this doesn't train you how to fight against a moving opponent or something like that. And it's kind of like, um, to, to quote your favorite character, Sean, it's kind of like, uh, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> that also, that also isn't the job of the wall bag. You know what right. I mean? It's kind of like you take some, it's like you take somebody who's doing a, a, a bench press and you go like, yeah, bro, well, good luck getting better, uh, getting a uh, better calf muscles with that. Right, you know what exactly I mean? It's right. like, um, He's doing a bench press, bro. I think you need to calm down a little bit. Now, if, of course, if Wing Chun people only use the wall bag, then they're not going to be able how to train that power when you're moving. You know what I mean? When your opponent is moving away from you or your opponent is pressing you and so on and so forth. But that's not the job of the wall bag. The job of the wall bag is to train the low elbow power, to train the structure of the stance and the power of the punch without the added benefit of the step moving forward, which is a huge power source in Wing Chun. The wall bag intentionally takes out one of the main power sources we have, which is our body moving forward and isolates only one, which is the elbow. But that's the job of the wall bag. The wall bag is also limited. You cannot train elbow strikes on the wall bag because if you hit the wall bag with an elbow, you're just going to get too much percussive um, power going back in your shoulder. Same thing, knee strikes don't really work on a wall bag. But for chain punches and for stationary kicks, for training your single leg stance and your kicking power, it's absolutely great. For everything else, uh, I would use uh, heavy bags, Muay Thai bags, focus mitts, kick shields. There's a whole bunch of other tools, all with their own pros and cons. But the wall bag is not a cure-all, but I find... Too many traditional Wing Chun people only use the wall bag and too many modern Wing Chun people don't use it enough. And that's kind of kind of how I would break that down. Yeah, it's excellent. That's excellent. That's, uh, yeah, excellent. So, I hope, John, I hope that answers your question. Um, if you have any follow-ups, just uh, contact us through the Patreon site the way you did with this question. And if you have any other questions, let us know. <clears throat> also, for the Patreon people, you know, make sure you send in anything else you want to hear on the podcast. Anybody can send it in. But Patreon people, you know how to do it. Just send a message through Patreon. Also, the Patreon people, um, Alex and I are going to be doing a Patreon-only episode. We're going to be throwing those in, and um, we're now in the planning stages of one. And uh, 
we, we're sure you're going to like it. It's going to be very cool. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to talk about something very strange that happened this week. Um, I know we've probably covered a similar base before, um, but um, I, I had we, we had somebody. So my assistant told me this because I wasn't in the school, but we had somebody come and visit our school from a um, how am I going to put it? Let's say a less than reputable WT school. So this is um, I'm, when I say WT, I mean people who are like specifically from a derivative of Leung Ting, all right? I don't even necessarily consider all WT people family, family members because it's so structured, it's so fractured right now that um, there's WT that has nothing to do with Leung Ting these days, right? But there's a, let's just say, a less than reputable WT school out west. And this guy, I've, I've never been a big fan of his, and uh, um, one of his students has moved to New York and wants to continue training at our school. So it's a logical choice. We're from the same line. You know, it makes sense that this person would want to continue at my school because I'm I'm basically the only WT school in New York City. The other ones uh, are very, very small and, and they're not even, most of them are not really properly teaching anything remotely close to what um, Leung Ting teaches. So this guy comes to my school. Now, he comes from a school that I'm not a big fan of, but I have no problem with this guy coming and joining my school. Um, and he comes and wants to join. So basically, he, he already tells us he wants to join, but then he shows up, basically does the intro lesson, and then says, uh, I don't have a bank account, all right? Which is kind of like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that my school is, is, is solely about people who can afford to pay it or not, but... If you tell somebody you're ready to join their school and you don't have like a bank account set up, like there might be like kind of an issue. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know where the guy thinks that running a two floor school in Midtown Manhattan is somehow a charity for people because they like Wing Chun. And this is always the part I think is kind of funny, Sean. I don't know if you've ever gotten this before. People think you should teach them for free because they're really enthusiastic right, about yeah. Wing Chun. It's kind of like, dude. I, everyone who pays me a monthly fee loves Wing Chun, and they pay me to learn. Right, like, right. what what makes you think that the fact that you're an enthusiast somehow qualifies you above? Like the people who pay me, they don't really love Wing Chun; they just pay for it. They have to, but you, but yeah, <laughs> because they have to. But you love it, so therefore, you, it's like kind of your birthright. Like, I never really understood that because I go, you, you know, right. to, the, to my, other, my other favorite one was, um, oh, you know, if you teach me free. I'll be a great representative of your school. I will be the clearly. best student you ever had. Yes, yes, yes. Clearly, clearly. And so, you know, this guy came in and did the intro, basically wasted my assistant's time and is like, you know, I don't have banking up, but then has the gall to say, uh, can I spar with your students? And this is kind of like where I go, um, yeah, this is a problem. Now, um, the funny thing is I posted this on Twitter. I said, like, oh, God, somebody showed up to my school from a less than reputable WT school, doesn't even have a bank account, and then wants to spar with my students. And then, of course, there's one of these Wing Chun, you know, anonymous Twitter bot accounts or whatever, probably run by some guy in Moscow. He's probably, you know, he's probably, you know they're not just Trump bots out there. I have a feeling that there's, like, Wing Chun Twitter bots that are, like, these anonymous people or whatever. And he's like... Well, it's, it's normal that the student should come and want to spar with the Sifu or whatever or spar uh, not with the Sifu, but should spar with the students to see if it's legit or not. And here's where I go. Well, first of all, of course, the person's anonymous. Right. And it's like and, you know, my, my response is and your name is like right. I should be giving a crap about what you say because, you know, I, I here's where I, I have to kind of pull the card of. All right. Well. Unlike most Wing Chun people, I'm the guy that actually has a commercial school that has successfully taught students for many years, has taught many people who run their own schools and represent Wing Chun very well. Um, I'm, you know, on the cover of magazines. I, I, I've, I've represented Wing Chun very well. I'm not at the point now where I'm like a dude that nobody knows who I am and I need to prove myself to some knucklehead who comes in off the street. That was what I was like. 15 years ago when nobody knew who I was. I'm at the point now where it's like, dude, if you want to come to my school to spar, like if I need to punch you in the face right. for you to realize that my school has worth, I don't want you in my school because you're an idiot. And if you think that, like, you, you know, he's like, well, you know, if they touch hands, you know, it's a very kind of hippie-esque idea that 
we're gonna you know hold hands in a circle and sing kumbaya and touch hands and feel each other's energy because i understand that there's people who think that that's what happens in theory but the real matter of the fact is that almost never happens somebody comes into your school and wants to touch hands to feel the difference if my student shuts that guy down and doesn't hurt him, my student is still vulnerable for this guy deciding suddenly to give somebody a cheap shot after the fact. And then I've basically offered up my student to potentially be victimized by somebody who cannot control their ego. Let's say my, they have three exchanges and my student shuts them down. And after the third exchange, the guy goes and then sucker punches my student. Well, now, because I basically offered up my student to do chisa with this guy, I'm putting my student at risk, even if my student is dominating this person. Now, what if this person happens to be really good? What if this person has been doing Wing Chun for 20 years and my student's been doing it for five? And then this guy cracks my student in the face and now my student is hurt. And now I have to step in and what, punch this guy in the face to show that my school is worth it because he happened to beat my five-year student with his 20 years experience? Or, you know, the problem is when you look at the tree of outcomes, none of them are actually good. My student maybe punches this guy in the face and now we've given a bloody nose to somebody who walked in off the street to our school. So of the tree of potential outcomes, which one is the good one where everything is going to be fine and we're all holding hands singing Kumbaya? Now, if it's not T-cell sparring and it's normal sparring, Tell me where the friendly exchange happens there. Sure, there are plenty of guys out there who know how to spar friendly and playful. But then when you walk into my school, I don't know you from, from the elbow of a subway rider. I don't know what you are or what's in your mind if you're an emotionally disturbed person. If I can touch my hand in front of your face and you're going to retaliate by punching me right in the throat or if you're going to realize you've been outclassed and submit and join like we don't have clear rules the way they have in bjj rolling where you can roll and tap or whatever there's no you like that you have that in every bjj school you don't have that in wing chun schools the what's acceptable contact what's acceptable as shutting somebody down is not even noticed in another school as being anything so I don't know who someone is coming off the street and to potentially put my students in harm's way, even if they're dominating this person, doesn't make any sense. And my school is not at a point now where I need to prove it to people for them to join. And then it's like this this, this kind of reality is like, first of all, this guy's from a disreputable Wing Chun school, so I don't need to bend over backwards for him. Second of all, if my student hurts this guy and punches this guy in the face who doesn't have a bank account, how do I know he's just not going to turn around and sue me? So, I mean, like, like, I'm the one that is, I'm the one that puts up all of the liability with potentially zero reward for whatever outcome may happen. Whether my guy gets punched or they get punched or nothing happens. There's no good outcome to this. There's, there is there's no, no good, good outcome. outcome to this. It's fucking ridiculous. And it's more about the fantasy world that fucking kung fu people live in. It's yes. like they, they, they live in this fucking channel five sunday afternoon movie in their fucking head that plays and they think like oh i you know they're gonna go and show proper respect and oh you know they're they, i swear to god in their fucking head somewhere they think like yes. they're gonna they're gonna do cheese out with one of your guys and shut your guy down and then you're gonna be like oh or, or, please or, teach or us seafood you know yes yes exactly it's like it's just such a fucking load of bullshit it and and for them to come in and say Oh, well, you know, let me see how well you do this before I come into you. Fuck you. Do you go into, into the auto mechanic and say, okay, listen, fix my alternator for free. If you do a good job on that, then I'll let you work on my transmission. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, fuck you, pal. And, 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 and it also, it's like, yes, there's stories of people who've walked into schools and tested the Sivu or the teachers and the, the, the assistants beat up this guy and then the guy joined, right? And I've had that story. I've had people walk into my school in the early days that I had to slap in the face for them to join and I wouldn't do that anymore. I did in the early days, but it's like I'm not at the point now where I'm also a grown-ass man. I was, I was 24 years old when right. I started teaching. I'm 40 now. You know what I mean? And, and this guy's really? like you writing like – yeah, thank you. And the guy's like, you know, this is how you test to see if someone has gin force. 
And it's kind of like, first of all, oh, whenever oh. someone uses Mandarin terminology for Wing Chun, I go, you're really a hack because you're throwing around a Chinese word salad, pretending like you know what's going on. And it's like, what if the person has no gin and he literally just grabs you by the throat and holds you on the ground? He has then proven by using brute force that your gin power doesn't mean shit. Will you then join his school? Like, it's like, because what these, these people who live in this fantasy world live in is like, if they can feel whether the teacher has gin force or not, they'll join. But the thing is, you could be beat up without gin force. And, and, but you know what happens if they got beat up by someone who just used brute force, they could say, well, he just used brute force and didn't have the gin. Right. So they, it's like, they have a way to talk themselves out of it. Even if they do get their ass kicked, it's like, it's like they've created this self-contained world where they use this terminology, which allows them to live on this very narrow street that nobody in the real world lives on. Only they live on. And, and it's completely absurd. And, and, and is the reason why Chinese Kung Fu, for the most part, is just in the fucking Stone Ages. Because you have guys like this telling me that, yeah, I should have let this asshole spar my students so I would have an opportunity to show him that, you know, we have gin or whatever. Now, here's the thing. What if when that guy came into my school, I didn't have anybody there qualified for him to spar? What if I wasn't there? What if it was my assistant? And what if I had like somebody who had been there for six months who's still learning? Is my student required by the duties of Kung Fu to spar? Like, I mean, right. it's so fucking ridiculous. It's, like, it's so ridiculous. It, it, it makes well, no sense. I mean, sense. is it 200, 300 years ago? I mean, and, and, and what kind of human being would you be to put your students up? As a put, put, what kind of person would you be to put my students up for slaughter? Like, you know, like yeah, you said, exactly. you don't know who this asshole is coming in. Oh, I want to spar your students. Oh, hey, listen, here, hey, Sean, do me a favor. You're training here a year. Go cheese out this fucking guy I never heard of before. You know, it's like, oh, oh I'm sorry. If he yes. pokes your fucking eye out, well, you know what? We live in this kung fu fantasy world and, you know, it cost you an eye. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. It's completely we, fucking utter ridiculous. We, we had um, we had a visitor from Seattle, and you know what's funny? Like, it, I find that the people who are the least respectful are people like this idiot on Twitter who's going like, "This is the Chinese kung fu way," and it's like actually it's extremely disrespectful. And the fact that people walked into Yip Man's school. And, you know, challenge Yip Man or challenge the students and the students took up the fight. They forget it's look, Yip Man was also in the beginning stages of his school. He had to create a reputation. I was there 15 years ago. I'm not there. Do you think Yip Man was taking people in off the street in 1969 when his reputation was established? No. And and like this is completely absurd. And, and the, the other thing is I find that most of this disrespect comes from people who pretend to be like traditional Chinese Kung Fu people, like normal, well-adjusted people who want to try out martial arts don't have some stupid notion like this. It's like these people who, like you said, live in this Shaw Brothers fantasy nonsense that somehow think that there's some there's such thing as a friendly match. And there's a famous Chinese saying that says, in the world of martial arts, there's no such thing as a friendly match. And that's what I definitely subscribe to. It's like, especially when you're representing schools. We had a guy from Seattle, a young kid. He was like 22 years old. He said that he learned Wing Chun traditionally in the Seattle area from some guy who was teaching a mainland Chinese version of Wing Chun. So not Yip Man Wing Chun, some, I don't know, Red Boat, whatever you want to name it, right? And he, his Sifu told him to come and visit my school. And because his Sifu saw some piece they did on me in China or whatever, right? So the guy was visiting New York, this young kid. He came and visited my school, and he just walked in off the street without an appointment. <laughs> I was actually about to leave my school with my assistant, Caillou. I don't know if you remember Caillou. And, um, and, and we're about to leave, and uh, the guy walks in, and, and then he's like, Oh, Sivu Alex, I'm so happy to meet you. Like, you know, I'm glad you're here. My Sivu told me blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm being like a gracious host. I went back in my school. I opened it up for him, gave him a little tour and, you know, gave him 10 minutes of my time. And I was like, you know, uh, man, thank you so much for coming by. If you if you stay in New York longer next time, because um, he was only he said he was only there for a day or two. I'm like, you know, come by and train at the school. Like, you know, let us know if it's OK with your Sifu. I'm more than happy with you coming and training at our school. Right. And so. 
He's like, oh, okay, that's great. And then, but it was very obvious. Like, you, you ever had try to get rid of somebody and they're not getting the point? Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe me every time I'm at your place. I, I, I was going to say, I started a podcast with this one guy. <laughs> just <laughs> You started a podcast with me just because I wouldn't leave. You figured you'd at least <laughs> do something constructive, right? So anyway, it was kind of one of those moments where it's like, all right, well, thank you for stopping by. I'm on my way out now kind of thing, right? And then the guy goes, Oh, I would like to do cheese out with you. Like in a very abrupt way where it was kind of like and and like I looked at him and then my assistant who's one of he's a seafood level under me, he kind of looked at him kind of like what? <laughs> like <laughs> like it was kind of like a little bit out of sorts, right? Because first of all, and to the other point, uh I what we didn't talk so far is I I don't train my students to do cheese out with other Wing Chun people. I teach my students how to defend themselves using Wing Chun. Chi Sao is a training method to improve certain reactions. But I teach my students, look, someone throws a swing at you, you do this. Someone tries to tackle you, you do this. Someone throws a punch. I'm teaching my students how to fight. Chi Sao is a training method to train certain reactions at a certain range. I don't train my students for Chi Sao death matches with other right. Wing Chun people. It's like, like right, it's, it's, not, not, you, it's not the litmus it's not test a chi of comparison at my school. Exactly, right? And, it, and again, it just shows you how far off these so-called Wing Chun people are. It's like, oh, so apparently Wing Chun for you is training your students to do Chi Sao with other Wing Chun people. For me, I primarily don't train my students to fight other Wing Chun people. Whenever we do sparring, one guy's Wing Chun and the other guy spars using or attacks them using non-Wing Chun, right? Because no one is going to stand in a in a mansa wusel by jong in front of you on the street and if they do once you buy them a beer because they're a kung fu family member right why are you fighting them right <laughs> so anyway my student kind of looked and i was like well i go if you want to do a private lesson with me you know after he asked me if he do cheese so i go if you want to do a private lesson with me you need to book that through my head office you know, just to kind of remind them, like, I, this isn't a massage parlor where you walk in. Worse than a massage parlor, it's like it's like a massage parlor where you go in and get a massage for free without an appointment. It's like if you want to do cheese out with me, my rate is $200 for a lesson. You can talk to the head office and book an appointment. I'm on my way out. It's Sunday, right? And he was like, oh, oh, I thought I could do cheese out with you. And I go, you can if you book a lesson. I'm a professional instructor. I don't know you personally. You're not one of my family members. I go, I don't have any obligation to do Chisa with you. And then he kind of just looked at me kind of like, Ugh. and um, and then he pressed again. And then my my student, Caillou, he goes, never mind, Sivo, I'll do it with him. And he just grabbed him. Right. And he starts doing and he, and he literally wiped the floor with this kid like and he didn't use any brute force. He put his hand in his face and showed him, like, like right. you know, put his hand lightly on his nose and goes, see, you're open, you're open. And then the guy tried some of my student turned, put him on the floor, tossed him around, tossed him on the ground. And the guy couldn't do anything. And then when he was done, it's like, okay, well, that's what it feels like to do chi sao. And then the guy, and then he's like, what do you think? He's like, oh, oh, it's very different than my seafood. It's like, yes. And next time, if you want to learn that, you can book a private lesson. Right. See you later. Bye, jerk And then guess what? We never heard from that guy again. So the guy came in. My student used absolute control and legitimately owned this guy, like white belt versus black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu rolling. It was like not even a comparison. Like, you know, when, when, a, when a black belt taps out a white belt at will? Right. You know what I mean? It was like that equivalent in Chisa where the guy couldn't even touch my student. Student. My student was turning, controlling him, playing like tying up his arms and putting his hand on his face and going, "Ah, oh, see so you're open, ah, like this." And what was the outcome? We never heard from that guy again. So, this is my experience. Even if you totally outclass the person and show utmost control and respect, they are now offended because you basically showed them that what they've been learning from their sifu for years is horseshit. And how many people are really willing? To, to admit that and then give up what they're doing and join your school. Very few. Very few. And so, again, when you look at the tree of outcomes for so-called friendly sparring, friendly cheesel, friendly whatever, it's normally never positive in the school's favor. You, you know what I mean? Right. And like, can, what's what's and, the upside? There's no upside. And it, usually only, and it usually is not like that situation. <clears throat> it almost always turns ugly. And and this is just an it's just fantasy bullshit, man. Well, that's that's what it's all about. It's all fantasy crap. That's it's just fantasy bullshit, dude. That's just yeah, what it's all about. 
Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I wanted to uh, <laughs> mention something else. You know, like one of the big terms these days is something called cultural appropriation, ah. which is, you know, basically when people are, you know, wearing clothes or listening to music or partaking in things that are not part of the culture that they're in. So um, which, again, it's very confusing now when you when you read online, like we need to celebrate diversity and everyone wants to be diverse. But at the same time now, the latest thing is we want to be diverse and open-minded, but we at the same time don't want to do things that are out of our cultural wheelhouse. So apparently I'm a white male. The only thing I'm allowed to do is wear polo shirts and play golf now or something like I've that. I've actually right? been accused and, of being uh, of, of, of this once as well. And what was your story? Well, um, as I, as I mentioned ad nauseum on the podcast, I love guitar. I love to play guitar. And I recorded myself playing a uh, a favorite blues song. I, I love blues music, mm-hmm. which is steeped in black culture, African-American mm-hmm. culture. And um, I recorded myself playing a, a song from a man named Robert Johnson from back in the 30s, and I posted it online in a blues Facebook group. And... Uh, a, it was actually a couple people, but it was really one guy who was incredibly vocal about it, was uh, very offended that me, a white guy, mm-hmm. was playing blues guitar. And he said that, you know, hey, play play rock and roll, play some white people music, do not post yourself playing blues guitar. Yeah, play some Eminem. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> white people music. And I, and I you know, I... And for a second, I was like, "Wow, did I did I really fuck up?" You know what I mean? Like, like right. you know, you don't you don't know like you know the ever changing sensibilities of this world. I I don't want to piss people off. I just it's the music I like, you know. Yes. So I uh, I actually contacted a buddy of mine, uh, black guy, and I said, "Listen, I literally sent him a, a, a snippet of the whole conversation." I was like, listen, this is what just happened. If I, am I out of line like by playing blues music as a right. big fat white dude? <laughs> and he was like, no, tell that guy to go fuck himself. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, all right, good. So I'm not doing anything wrong here, right? I'm like, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 I guess it's something we have to be careful of. But I think some people just take it to a fucking extreme. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it hasn't really happened so much in the wheelhouse because look, all martial arts are cultural appropriation. Unless you are Japanese teaching Japanese karate uh, or you are Chinese teaching Chinese kung fu, you know. And this is something that for the most part, I mean, most martial art instructors, especially nowadays, don't come from the culture from whence the martial art they teach comes from, right? And then it, if you really want to go down like a cultural appropriation rabbit hole with martial arts, you could say... Then no, then anybody who is Brazilian cannot pr- practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu because they're not Brazilian. But at the same time, Brazilians are not Japanese, from which jiu-jitsu came from. Right, exactly. So it's kind of like so. If, if, if so, where where does this then come from, right? Or uh, capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial art, but it's it's from the indigenous cultures. Which, in by the way, I would look awesome the, doing. I'm just saying, you know, from from or I should say it's from the from the slaves coming mm-hmm. down. So if you are if you are a white Brazilian, mm-hmm. can you practice capoeira? You know right. what I mean? So the problem is, like, when you start doing this, then none of us are allowed to like anything or do anything. Um, and 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 that's just really a god awful world. But the reason I brought it up is because um, even in 2018, there's a lot of ignorance about. Uh, Asian culture, and I find there's a lot of ignorance about Asian culture among Asian communities, especially American-born Asian communities. You know what I mean? My wife, who is from Hong Kong, she, you know, we always talk about ABCs, American-born Chinese. And American-born Chinese, and look, this is coming from my wife, who is a Hong Kong-born Chinese. Um, You know, for her, American-born Chinese are culturally very different from, like her, and from the people who grew up in Hong Kong, right? And she, my wife even finds that for the most part, I understand Hong Kong Chinese culture very well in a way that's very different from American-born Chinese people who, don't, some, for the most part, don't even speak or read Chinese. And so I was, in, I was actually 
inv invited to do a workshop for an Asian heritage, like a, in May, it was like Asian Heritage Month or something like that. And um, I've done many Asian heritage um, presentations. Like every year they have Asian uh, Heritage Month. So anyway, so I got an invitation to, from uh, JP Morgan to do uh, an event for Asian Pacific Heritage Festival or Asian Culture Month, um, which is in May. I, I usually do something every year for various companies. In the past few years, I've done demonstrations, I've done presentations, and I do, um, I do a pretty good corporate presentation. Um, in fact, a bunch of corporations have, uh, in you know, over the a number of years, have invited me in to do presentations. What I do is I do something like um, uh, Chinese martial arts strategies for the workplace. Because obviously, if a company brings me in, I mean, I, I show a bunch of their their employees paksa or tanso. I mean, what like okay, that's fun, but what is that doing, right? Uh, what I do is I'll show them some physical techniques, and then I'll show them how I'm using like a Taoist idea, you know, to borrow power and then give part power back, and then how we can use this, and and then I uh, then I kind of weave it into a communication strategy. So so it's actually a very very interesting um, like I've got the feedback I've gotten uh, over the course of the last few years has always been tremendous and I've also refined it over many years and the current version that I have is very polished so when corporations want me to come in and do a talk about like communication like martial arts strategies for communications I'm like oh I that I can do that one hour talk easy and I show them some moves <laughs> and I get them sweating and it's great right so uh, a, f a friend of mine uh, who is a high-powered lawyer um, knew that JP Morgan was looking for somebody to do something for their Asian, um, you know, some like Asian culture month event or something like that, right? So they suggested that they uh, bring me in to, to do like a kind of a Wing Chun class, right? And then I was like, normally I don't do these things unless the price is right. So normally for me, to get me to go to one of these things for an hour, they got to give me a thousand bucks. Otherwise, I'm sitting back and I'm going to keep teaching. My, I'd, I'd rather be at my school teaching than sitting in a, bun a bunch of suits for a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? So it's like, like I will do it. I really like it because it's a really fantastic presentation. But I, I'm also very busy and, they, they uh, you know, the price has to be right to take time away from my students who I, I love dearly to go and do something for a bunch of strangers. Right. So. But because this was an invite from somebody that I know, I was like, okay, I can do them a favor. I can do something a little bit cheaper for them because this is like a favor for a friend type thing. And then they put us in charge with their, uh, you know, whoever was running this event over there at uh, J.P. Morgan. And um, this person was in contact with, with my assistant, right? Because I, I don't handle the day-to-day -day stuff at my school. So my assistant was going, I told my assistant what my, uh, what I offer and what to tell them and stuff. And then my assistant dealt with it. Right. And this was a special favor. So I'm like, okay, this is an event we're definitely doing. I took time off my schedule. I, I, uh, got a bunch of assistants. I'm like, okay, on this day, on this Wednesday, we're all going to go down to Brooklyn and we got to do this and we got to do that. And, um, lo and behold, in one of the, like, they were very, it was a very difficult thing to do. Look, I've done stuff for, Bank of America. I've done stuff for huge New York Times, huge corporations, and they can like call me today and I'll be there in the evening. It's super easy. Getting this thing for JP Morgan done was like emails back and forth, back and forth. And they wanted like all of our information and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And it was a little weird because I was asked personally as a favor by somebody who is an employee there. And I'm still being put through this whole rigmarole, right? And I'm like, well, this is very weird. I'm kind of doing them a favor. And anyway, the guy on the phone who happened to be uh, uh, Chinese, after everything was set, we told them the course. I'm going to teach some Wing Chun movements because they wanted to be more physical. So I'm like, I'm going to teach some Wing Chun movements and I'm going to show how this can work as communication strategies to improve their relationships and in the workplace. Great class, super fun, one hour, easy peasy, right? The guy at the very end, he goes and asks my assistant, oh, by the way, is Sifu Alex Chinese? And uh, my assistant was like, uh, no, he's not. Um, but the students kind of joke that he's – my Chinese students joke sometimes that I'm more Chinese than them. Right? Right. And so, so anyway, it was like – and that was it. And then we never heard from the guy. And it was like a couple weeks out to the event, and they never got back to us. 
And lo and behold, they invited another Sifu who happened to be Chinese to do the event instead. Now, I know this. I'm not, like, upset that that this other Sifu got the work. I mean, good, if they paid him 300 bucks or whatever, that's good for him. Um, I'm just kind of, like... It, it's kind of upsetting because I was asked as a personal favor to do something kind of well below my normal rate. And given that I have a track record of having an excellent program, and then suddenly this guy was like, oh, but he's not Chinese. And I go, wait a minute. So now the celebration of Asian culture is now limited only to to Asian people. So uh, it doesn't make sense. Like, are we celebrating Asian culture as a community? Or are, is this only for Asians to celebrate their own? Is it self-congratulatory? Like, if, if, if there was a, a Cuban-American festival, I'm a half-Cuban, and there were people who were non-Cuban there, you know, I would be like, well, this is great. Look, they're being exposed to Cuban culture. And if they were presenters who were singing Cuban songs who were not Cuban, I'd be like, man, that guy can sing this Cuban song just as well as the Cubans. Isn't that amazing how, how far of an outreach Cuban culture has, right? And I wouldn't be the least bit upset that that person wasn't Cuban. And it's like, I am the epitome of the celebration of, of Asian culture because it's been my life since I was eight. I And the difference between me and other people, I didn't, I wasn't born into it. I decided this is what I want to do because I love it so much. And one of my missions of my school is to expose more people to Asian, especially Chinese culture. And then to have some kind of hack who works at JP Morgan, who clearly didn't even do two minutes to look up who I am, just decide because I'm not Chinese that I'm not qualified to do something like this. It shows you how far behind the times they are. And you know, the crazy thing is we actually gave a corporate discount to JP Morgan employees for years. And based on this, I, I discount, I, I discontinued it. It's like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the funny thing is like uh, the JP Morgan uh, employee discount, we didn't even advertise on their human resources for over 10 years because we still regularly get so many people from referral that I didn't I, I like we ceased telling their because they used to have it on their website that they could get a discount at City Wing Chun but we had to renew it every year and just let right. them know that this discount still exists I actually stopped doing it because we still kept getting people and I didn't have the time to make that phone call every year and we still have tons of JP Morgan employees working with us but moving forward it's like dude and i'm not just going to say they don't have a discount i'm going to tell them why it's like you work for a company that is brutally out of touch with how much asian culture has affected the lives of people who are not asian you know it's like like it's absolutely ridiculous to think that in 2018 um you know we, we can't celebrate a culture that we don't belong to because somehow it's now only for them so now celebrating cultures is only a self-congratulatory thing within those own cultures i'm also half german and if some if somebody from from kenya was up there singing german songs wearing lederhosen and i'd be like holy shit look how awesome that is that that guy knows all those german songs you know what i mean <laughs> i wouldn't be like that guy's not german get him off the stage you know what i mean <laughs> like it's it's completely ridiculous and and anyway um i would advise everyone to uh, uh, if they're thinking of working for J.P. Morgan, to not work for J.P. Morgan, don't buy their products, don't go to their crappy Chase Bank, oh, go somewhere else. Hey, J.P. Morgan also totally screwed Nikola Tesla, so you know what? <laughs> Screw J.P. Morgan. Fuck those right? guys. Yeah, yay Bank of America, yay everyone else. All right, boo J.P. Morgan, <laughs> bunch of losers. So anyway, as I as I normally say, that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So anyway, well, that was a lot of fun, man. Absolutely, um, brother. I look forward to doing it again. By the way, uh, I don't know if you can tell from the video that I'm uh, I'm, I'm sweating like like Sean in church right now because I didn't I didn't turn the AC on because I don't want the background noise and it is like a boiler of it in my room right now. I feel like I'm gonna have that same heat stroke uh, episode that Bruce Lee had when he was recording at Golden Harvest. <laughs> well, you know, I thought about that. And I said, fuck it. I put the air conditioner. I have the air conditioner on the whole time. Oh, yeah. I have a really, in my bedroom, I have a really noisy air conditioner. No, okay. So it wouldn't have worked. It's one of those old ones. All right, man. So uh, we'll be in touch next week. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be in Hong Kong at the beginning of July. So um, let's record a couple shows before then. And after, I'll have lots of new stuff to tell you about when I get back from Hong Kong. Sounds so like a good time. All right, folks. Hope you had a good time, folks. Take care. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!